0: Hi, and welcome to the third season of the Duck Industry Podcast, bringing you personal and truthful conversations. We acknowledge that the cultural establishment of which we are part still needs to undergo a fundamental transformation of true inclusivity. The Duck Industry Podcast is meant as a source of inspiration to envision a different way, a better way. We want to evolve together and dedicate ourselves to the work we have done so far and are committed to practicing further. We believe the future of this field lies in the power of the wide range of experiences, aesthetics, storytelling and perspectives that you all have to offer. It's a great joy to welcome back our glorious partners and curators, the POC2 Programmers of Color Collective and the What's Up with Dogs podcast. We are also happy to introduce new collaborators, our colleagues from Kinoprafta Institute from Serbia, Belgrade. We look much forward to highlighting and celebrating the ideas, themes and discussions our colleagues will bring to this. Duck Industry is funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, BKM and MDM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contribution. Enjoy!
1: Jihan, thank you so much for being on the show with us again. Um, It's just such a pleasure to reconnect with you, especially after the amazing conversation about archives that we had last year for Doc Leipzig. So I'm excited to do this part two. Same
2: here. In just a year, so much changes.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I just want to start off by like, Asking like how you are. Um, I know the world is going through a lot of changes. You know, um, here in the U.S., we're dealing with our own little—well, not so little—slow-moving coup, (laughs) which has been in the news. But like, how are you? And I don't know if you want to get into where you are. (laughs) Yes, I'm right now. I'm in Burkina
2: Faso, stuck in the middle of a coup d'état. Um, The first two days were quite um, adventurous, let's say. Um, Just like watching tanks and helicopters uh, waltzing together through my window, but things have calmed down a bit. There's a lot of tension and there's a lot of people stranded, including myself. but let's see. It's a, it's it's really sad to see um, this country, which has FESPACO. FESPACO happens in February, and it's the biggest mm-hmm. African film festival. And talking about archive, they had just gotten the OK to start a whole um, uh, heritage space for oh, film. Oh
1: wow! Okay, okay yes yeah, so it's gone <laughs> so let's see what happens we'll see what happens um but for some of our listeners who aren't familiar with festpaco do you want to talk about like what that is it's actually one of the biggest like uh fest- film festivals on the continent of Africa it's been around with like 40 something years
2: it's it's 50 the the coming edition is the 50 second edition
1: okay 50, so 50, uh, yeah fifty
2: two years. So 52 years, uh, actually 54, uh, 54 years. Um, it's the biggest film festival. It, uh, it's it's actually, um, uh, it started with a demand from the African filmmakers to have mm-hmm. their own space, to be able to show the films from their own perspective. And um, Osman Samben and Tahir Shreya being the tunisian they sort of came up with this idea um Mm -hmm. that's why it's a biennial because it happens one year in burkina faso and the following year in uh in tunisia the 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 cartage days
1: right right and um and they accept films from folks um who are part of the African diaspora. Like I know so many African-American filmmakers who have over the years who have screened on their projects there. So they're a very welcoming festival for everybody of African descent as well.
2: I mean, I think this was a big thing because they used to be a diaspora section um, Mm -hmm. that that is, uh, Kind of on the sidelines, but starting last edition, um, the uh, diaspora section became part of the main competition and completely integrated into the festival as it uh, as a mainstream. Uh, they used to have this um, um, prize called the, the Paul Robson Prize, which was uh, oh, yes,
1: mm-hmm. yes
2: yeah, for for the diaspora, but now they enter competition as though they're Africans. So it doesn't wow. matter where you're from as long as... Um, yeah. I mean, it's a huge event. Um, they say that Burkina, Wagadougou, uh, the capital, uh, mm-hmm. goes from uh, uh, 600,000 people and over the 10 days of the goes up to 2 million people. Wow. People come from... I mean, lots of Ghanaians come by car. You have a whole... Um, industry of um, of arts and crafts they mm-hmm. all come from mali so it it really is and probably remains the truly pan-African space
1: wow that's amazing well i hope to be able to attend one year yeah you know, at some point so because i've just heard so many wonderful things about it um so i actually want to um kind of begin um with some of my reflections from our last conversation um and it was just really great to talk to you and uh, about archives because I always, just for people who are listening to this podcast for the first time, I got started in the documentary industry like through archives and I still do archive research on the side because I just love looking up stuff and I love history. Um, but like talking to you, like it was really it was challenging for me, like in a really great way because um a lot of my i realized like a lot of my mindset and thinking around archives is so rooted in this like capitalistic colonialistic model and you have a great way of like like kind of like i feel like stopping those thoughts and like making people realize like okay this is the perspective that you're coming from and i like i mean it, when I was, you know, the language I was using, and I, I think I would kind of like try to re, uh, reframe it, and you were like, no, 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 you know, <laughs> I don't need you. I don't know if you use like, no, no, no. But it just really, really, um, I love it when I have conversations with people, and you just, I, I, the way I describe it is you make me grow new neurons, like new pathways of thinking that I didn't know that I, I needed. So I just really appreciated that, and it just kind of speaks to your, um to your passion about this whole topic but also um just it it was a really great lesson on like on how you like how you could challenge people like in a good and positive way but also I mean I think I had to I was receptive to it too so
2: (laughs) I I have to say first of all thank you for the compliments it's exactly what I need in my uh disheartened situation (laughs) but I think I think I think it's more about I think the approach to archive over the past few years have been challenged for all of us. And mm-hmm. being able to say, okay, which vantage point am I going to look at this from? Right, and, and, and I'm clearly rooted in a perspective from the South. And the more I advance, and actually that's why I said things in one year, things change. Um, I myself am challenged the whole time mm-hmm. because um, because you think that we finally said, okay, now we're not going to do this anymore. That's what it's about. And then somebody asks you a question and you say, okay, hold on a minute, I have to rethink now. And mm-hmm. that's been happening over the past year quite considerably. Um, because somebody asked me, what do you actually mean by archive? Mm, and Okay. And I kind of stopped and I said, archive. And (laughs) yeah, and it's, as I was answering, I started thinking, actually, what are archives, in our head, archives are always connected to celluloid or connected to the image. Right. And then I said, Well, the way we use it is how do we use visual old visuals, and then, and he said, so we didn't have archive before celluloid arrived in Africa. Mm-mm. And I'm like, okay, let me, let me stop here and start thinking what you right. actually mean by archive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think over the past year, um, as you know, we talked last time about this whole idea of the uh, uh, liberate the image manifesto. Right but mm-hmm. the Liberate the Image Manifesto was talking literally about the image. right? And, and all the different points of access, restitution, and I'll come back to access restitution uh, mm-hmm. later. Um, but I think what happened with Liberate the Archive is that it brought people on board that wanted to liberate memories. And the ending, mm,
1: yes, 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 to reconnect with our past,
2: mm-hmm. which then posed a really interesting question—a question that uh, Sarah Hartman um, poses in a lot of her writings, especially mm-hmm. Venus in Two Acts. Um, it's the question: What about the missing frames? What about the silenced images? What about mm-hmm. all these things we know nothing about?
1: Right, right.
2: Do we reconstitute our past based on what was decided should exist? Or Mm -hmm. do we have an obligation, especially filmmakers and artists and musicians and artists of all kinds, do we have an obligation to reassess and appropriate this past in a way where we ourselves create these missing images.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I love that. I love that. And I f- really feel like um, that is really one of the joys of like working in this documentary field is, you know, um, having the opportunity to rediscover, or even discover like these hidden histories and stories a- about ourselves. And um when I was pre- prepping for this call um, the idea uh, the concept of like memory came up to me and I want to just tell a little story and I'd love to hear your comments about it. But I, I grew up in the state of Georgia. Um, I'm one generation out of Jim Crow and um, my family, uh, my ancestors were enslaved in what's now Athens, Georgia. Um, Oconee County. And then after, you know, slavery in theory ended, they were sharecroppers. So I still have a lot of extended family, you know, in, in Athens and um, Oconee County. And it's really, really country there. (laughs) And I just remember going there for family reunions and um, they would have, my relatives would put up bottle trees. So they put the trees and they would be trees with branches and then they would put bottles on the branches and it wasn't until I was in college that I discovered when I was taking the anthropology class, that that was a practice that was essentially brought over from my descendants who were in the Congo. And it's like a way of um, of like protecting a home from spirits, kind of like the eyes, you know, on on like throughout like North Africa, you know, um, that help protect protect people. And um, when I think about that, it really um, it makes me think about what well, it made me really think like how we held on to these remnants of these remnants of memories and kind of recreated it. But I really didn't understand what it was referring to until like I, you know, I, you know, I was in college and it just made me think about how like memory can, can actually be a gateway to kind of helping to these fractured memories. can get kind of a gateway to kind of rediscovering these um these forgotten histories, you know, because th- we hold on to these things.
2: Of course, and over the past year, maybe maybe it's worth uh, underlining that over this past year, um, uh, I've been running this archive program called mm-hmm. People's Stories, Past and Present. And While we were preparing for that, one of the, you know, obviously, Archive is a huge um discussion. Mm-hmm. So who do you choose? Who comes on board and who talks about what? What right. is the main topic? How do we focus in a way where we need to get to the bottom of something, but then through that focus, we can go wider. And one of the things we chose as really the backbone um, uh, of this program. Is mm-hmm. this distinction between official history and memory? Yes. Based, based on the writing of Kojo Ishun, uh, who's a Ghanaian uh, uh, artist who's theorized this this idea, the distinction between memory and um, uh, and official history. And mm-hmm. I think it's really really interesting because if you take any documented moment of history that becomes part of the mythology of our um, of our history and just stop at that moment and get the people who were alive during that moment to tell you their stories yes the way it flops out the way you understand what that event actually meant very often it's very different from what the official narrative has kind of fixed in our history books. Right. And I think that we're also at this moment where I think the more we know about archive, the more we digitize archive, the more questions there are, not the more answers. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Because like, you know, I came across this whole, you know, huge, big amount of archive. And great, how do I contextualize this? How do Mm -hmm. I know who filmed it? How do I place it? I, you know, I have this one really interesting story when I was doing my last film, Egypt's Modern Pharaohs, and Mm -hmm. I had a lot of archive. And in a lot of the pictures, there was this one guy who keeps popping up. And I couldn't, couldn't, (laughs) you know... There's nobody who could tell mm-hmm. me who's this guy. Uh, and so the, the, uh, the archives were given to me as this event or as that event. And when finally somebody said, oh, this guy is a guy who was on the Syrian side when we were um, um, the UAR, and the UAR only existed from 1958 to 1961. Okay. So suddenly, all mm. these archives that were given to me under different names. And different Mm -hmm. eras you could suddenly pin down actually wherever this guy is it's only within this time this this
1: this two-year period two three-year period right Mm -hmm. and that
2: completely played havoc with everything that that had been given to me and the context it had been given to me Mm -hmm. so um but then having said what i said it makes it seem like an impossible task to deal with archive, Mm -hmm. but I don't actually think it is because I think it's a matter of attitude. And now you'll see how much I've changed since last year. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's a matter of attitude because my attitude up until last year was if we have the footage, if we see it, somewhere there's a truth in there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: But my attitude right now is that why is it that I'm presuming this is a truth? Right. It's not yeah. necessarily a truth. It's an element of it's a, a truth. Fragment. It's a yes. fragment. Yes. What we are to do with these fragments, in my opinion, we appropriate them. Mm-hmm. We tell our stories from our vantage point. Through appropriating these images and contextualizing them through these oralities that we've been handed down. It's like your tree and the bottles on the trees. Mm -hmm, Now, mm if you have that bit of information, you can actually interpret the whole scene.
1: Right, right. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. No, but I was going to say, I mean, um, I. I guess we we give a lot of weight um, to, you know, these cellular archives um, because they are um, primary sources and we we give a lot of credence to those primaries, those essentially what we call those primary sources, because um, they are essentially first town accounts. But it's, it's, we still have to recognize what you're saying is we still have to recognize our first kind of accounts from a specific particular perspective. So like you said, I, it's part, part of the picture, but we have to be conscious that it's not the entire picture.
2: But the truth is that all the celluloid we have until the mid-60s is through the eyes of our colonizers.
1: It's through that gaze, yes.
2: There's, mm-hmm. there's no doubt. I think we talked about it at length last time, so I don't particularly want to get into that again. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that vantage point, I, I just did a piece for the Berlin Biennial um, mm-hmm. called Complexifying Restitution. Notes yes. South. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, here I was delighted about this whole notion of restitution that the door to claiming restitution is open and we were all sort of, let's go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then suddenly you realize that the complexity of restitution is way beyond just taking it, okay?
1: Yes, okay.
2: The two, three countries I've been working with, the state of their archive is in absolute tatters. Now, it's not because it's in tatters that that's Mm -hmm. the problem. The problem is that it's in tatters because they don't want the archive to not be in tatters because archive is part of the politics of our countries.
1: Yes, yes.
2: Mm -hmm. The mythologies of independence are Mm -hmm. based on these archives. Contesting individuals can be based on these archives. So this image as the truth is actually very often a danger to people in power in many of our countries so mm, we don't mm-hmm. even have access like we need to get archive from egypt is practically impossible right right um mm-hmm. senegal i mean the state of the archive i sat there and wept, literally mm. um, so restitution is fine but what is it we're restituting Mm-hmm. Who are we restituting it from? Because a lot of, here I am in a country with a, a coup d'etat. Okay. Right. Now, the coup d'etat of today is going to try and discredit or have a different narrative. The history, yeah, that's happening. Exactly. So, right. Our restituting our memory and our histories that have a minimum common denominator. Mm-hmm. that we can actually say this is our history is not just from the colonizers. It's from our leaders too.
1: yes Yes, we really have to be... Um, we, I'm thinking about that phrase, you know, history is like um, written by the victors, you know, and um, we really have to learn how to just um, question these things. But also I think that's... Um, well, one thing I wanted to ask to, sorry, I wanted to just go back to something you said when you're talking about the state of the various archives. So um, when you're visiting these archives, like what specifically like are, are things are are like these um, documents, uh, you know, celluloid, et cetera, these artifacts, are they not, uh, are they kept, are they not cataloged or like the facilities where they're kept, they're just like, they're not protected. So they're like uh, deteriorating. Like what exactly when you're saying the, the, the okay, these archives me, are the vast state. Yeah. What, what exactly are you talking about? It,
2: let me mm-hmm. put it this way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first went to the, um, uh, a certain country's archive a few years ago, mm-hmm. they had a um, canisters that were not, that had no vinegar and that were in very good shape, okay? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, A few years later, they were 900, okay? Mm. Mm -hmm. This year, which is only four years later, they have 250 left. Wow, okay. So over less than 10 years, we've gone to literally not even the quarter of the archives that Mm -hmm. existed, that are in a state. Um, I don't even know what to tell you. Um, I I can show you an image, (laughs) but but that's not going to help in a podcast. Right, right. We're talking about a celluloid reel that is all stuck together and yes of years of dust and crust mm-hmm. and um the, and the the argentique that silver residue has made it all stick together it's right
1: right dead. just deteriorated
2: yes mm-hmm. deteriorated is not even the right word
1: mm-hmm. um, they're in a real real state. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh,
2: um let's say I went it took me 18 months to manage to go to the the place where they actually keep the reels. I mm-hmm. would say um totally totally deteriorated mm. and left in 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 in, uh, in a state of Madness. I'd like you just to to look at it words with me.
1: So what we're looking at for our listeners is a bunch of film canisters like some empty like just piled on the floor covered in dust and, and dirt and some of the some of the canisters are warped Um. yet. Okay. So what I'm looking at is a big old pile of looks like film but yeah. it's covered in so much dust um, that... And it looks
2: like a plate of spaghetti.
1: Yeah, it does. Like <laughs> like gray spaghetti. That's what it looks like. Exactly.
2: So, the, I mean, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. that's not the case of absolutely everything. But right when you're faced with a huge amount of... And several countries that are in that state... Mm-hmm. The, Next question is whose responsibility, and when we talk about restitution, yes, restitution of what and mm-hmm. how. Uh, I'm not gonna get to the to whom because that's another debate, also. that's a
1: whole discussion, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Because before we start just pointing fingers, we find the space of our own to decide what is it we need these archives for and right in our heads and me being the first i'm the total archive treasure hunter mm-hmm. and now everybody's on the archive tip but everybody's on preservation and conservation my question is what is it should we preserve and why right right this madness of just wanting to preserve who gets to choose what to preserve because once you preserve it, then it becomes part of our history. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Where, where, so I, I hope I'm not sounding depressed or (laughs) or no, no by all of this, but I think the biggest, um, bulb that came on that that sort of like uh, um, the biggest um, understanding I got over the past year Mm -hmm. is that we should look alongside this archive orality,
1: rituals
2: puppeteering
1: Yes, yes, yes
2: We have so much right to call archive
1: I mean, our um, you know, before there was a written word, you know, people pass down stories to like oral traditions, you know, and that's, that's an archive. A,
2: mm-hmm. Music is an archive. Sound archive. is an archive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and each one of them we take for granted. So I think that my, we had this amazing brainstorming session for three days and like with all the amazing people who've been working mm-hmm. with archive for the past 40 years. Right. Comfra, Ishun, like the Let group, um, Tony Ijaba was the Pan-African space station. Like people mm-hmm. really, really put their heads into archive. Right. And the general atmosphere was leave the celluloid aside. We'll get to it when we need it.
1: Okay. Okay. Oh, that, that feels a little controversial to me. (laughs) It is.
0: is. That made me nervous when you said
1: that.
2: (laughs) It's very controversial, but you know what? If what we're trying to do is trying to figure out what the narrative is. Right. Our side of the story, we have to be able to say, hold on a minute. Let's figure out with all the different archives that have been delegated to us mm-hmm. in our own formats. Huh? Mm-hmm. So our next session, we have a, a next session in Mauritania and then the one after that in Morocco. The one in mm-hmm. Mauritania, we're constructing around puppeteering. Right, okay. We have the puppeteers of the Niger and the history of puppeteering in Segou in Mali. Mm-hmm along all the way down from there to Senegal, all the way to Mauritania, this is a whole visual, a whole physical format that we haven't preserved, that we haven't thought of, that we haven't compiled Mm -hmm, the evolution mm -hmm. of these narratives. And the next one we're doing in Morocco, we're doing around the Hadra. The Hadra is uh, basically... The ritual mm-hmm. uh, of Sufism and the ritual. Oh, of Sufism, okay, right, okay. Mm-hmm. It's all about music, orality, connecting lineages around themes.
1: Yes, yes, and
2: and we know nothing about this. There's there's a lady who's a hundred and three years old, mm-hmm. the last lady who is known to know all the different recitals of the Hadra.
1: Wow! Wow! Nobody's
2: ever filmed her.
1: Wow! It, wow! Oh, wow! So I'm, so, ju- I'm just I'm just blown. Up. <laughs> that gave me chills. Yeah, you know. So,
2: so you so you see it is controversial. Keep the uh, celluloid aside for the moment. Of course, right. it's controversial, but at the same time, maybe it's not controversial. Let's mm-hmm. start creating our own archive for what it is we need to preserve. Rather than preserve what we know, was never taken by us.
1: Right. Oh my God. Okay. I, I got so many things. So. Um, <laughs> so I, I was in Morocco in the last century um, when I was in college, and I was there for five months. Um, I was, it's like three months in an off-campus study program, and then I was traveling on my own, like doing my research for my senior thesis because it's my last year in college. And I was doing um, it, I did my research on um, saint worship in Morocco. Um, So I was traveling to these various places where uh, there were these saints' tombs or venerations for saints. And this is in Morocco, um, there's not like not, there's not any official um, canonization for saints like there is like in the, the Catholic church, but Um, but there were these certain places that were known to have, you know, certain properties and they happen to be where places where women worship, particularly in towns where there were mosques, but the mosques were like too small. So the men, so the women weren't going to them, you know, and, um, in my research, um, before I went, um, I was reading all these books, like from the 1900s and, um, uh, from this anthropologist i think his name was like westermark and um i went to this one particular tomb of a saint which which is actually at agadir um which is known for um at the cosma at, at, at agadir which is known for it's like healing for healing properties like people go there and they say prayers and you know um in theory they, these miracles happen Each saint has his function, by the way. Each saint has, yeah, each saint has his function. And I think this particular saint was named um, Leila Tadkekultz, I think it was the name. I'm I'm trying to remember. But it was interesting because um, while I was there, I also had the opportunity to go to a few Ganawa ceremonies where and in indie ceremonies kind of like voodoo here on this part of the continent this part of the the US well uh this part of the world where they pay these play these particular drumming rhythms and the saints come down and they they mount people and they take over people um and one of them i remember i went to one session and one of them was actually named Takerkuts lay the Takerkuts and and then when I was kind of like re- doing going deeper to the research, actually Takir is like a was like a old has this um etymology like in 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 um in Hebrew. And um so essentially these Muslim people who are practicing um this Ganawa who are who are practicing Ganawa are actually uh, worshiping a saint that potentially has like Jewish roots. You no, know, because like Judaism was throughout like uh throughout North Africa, you know, um and you know Jews um, lived throughout North Africa, so think, it was I like all I these think... like little ties together that these little. Um, but I mean, yes, but the Gnawa, the mm-hmm. Gnawa rhythm, yes,
2: is is very anchored in slavery.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And
2: so and so it's it's not really about I think I think the saints then um become the saint worship space is right is a Muslim one. Is a Muslim, right. Mm-hmm. But it's not dissociated from, I mean, as far as Muslims are concerned, all three religions are an inherent part of Islam. Exactly. Right. So so this distinction whether the saint it depends when the saint was living, because if that saint mm-hmm. was in a period when Islam hadn't arrived, doesn't make him less of a saint.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: And I think what's more interesting for me or alongside interesting alongside what you're saying um, and all these um, these question marks we need to even address, mm-hmm. We don't know. I don't know the answer to what you're saying. And I right. think a few people do because we haven't spent the time to figure it out. I think for me, what was really interesting and it's part of our program is this this separation between the North and the South of the continent Mm. has been systematic. Yes. Yes. We see, and Senegal and Morocco being a perfect example is that since the 15th century, this saint worship between the two countries has been going up and down through mm. the Tijaniya since Kingdom Come, since the 15th century, and it never mm-hmm. stopped, and it was never interrupted. And right. There, the narratives, be they from Morocco or from Senegal, are complementary. And mm-hmm, yes, mm-hmm. the current d- division between the north and south of the continent that you don't get to know both sides of the coin right right and and it's connecting these and when i talk about silenced images or missing brains and all of that these are the kind of little details that i think once we start asking the questions there's a flood of things i'm sure your parents if you Mm -hmm. ask the right questions will tell you some oral history that they have from their childhood that we can't find in books our problem is that if it's not in a bibliography, if it's not logged, if it's not within uh, a, a, an archive fund that makes you pay a lot of money for it, then mm-hmm. it doesn't
1: exist. And that's not. Tr- it almost feels like we had need to take a like almost like a scientific approach to it to this. And um, so and when I say that, what I'm meaning is science is is always like willing to um, take in like new information is always like and willing to like reevaluate um, what we think we know. And I'm just going to kind of give it a a quick example. So um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, they call him the you know, he's a astrophysicist, like really famous here in the US, but they call him the the Pluto killer. Because like in his research, he he discovered that actually Pluto was actually not an actual planet, and like <laughs> people got so angry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 now like we that's accepted, you know. And but so it almost seems like we need to take this science approach. That okay, yes, we do have these archives. We we have these this written and celluloid word. But we need to be open to that shifting based on new knowledge that we rediscover.
2: Yes. And I think that widening the space of the concept of archive Mm -hmm. is fundamentally important at the point we're
1: at. Right, right.
2: Because, I mean, all these, you know, we're at a moment, especially where we're independence is uh-huh. I'm here in Ouagadougou because I am one of the mentors in the Wagalab. okay? The uh-huh. Wagga Lab brings all these young filmmakers. And if you see the amount of films that are, that young 25, 26 year olds want to know about history. There are at uh-huh. least three history documentaries. And you know, somebody, one of the guys was saying, yeah, but this and this and that happened. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, Mm -hmm. um, what dates are you talking about? Mm. You cannot ensure that it happened if you don't know the wider space of what was happening around it. And and there is a desire to reconnect with a reality that comes from a space we recognize.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. It's as simple as that right right yeah because there's so many um there's like if we look carefully there are so many connections that we can um that you know that we can explore you know if we don't look at these um things as uh you know static not changing um you know uh artifacts
2: Absolutely. I mean, uh, one of uh, the uh, good examples, I think, is that the, the most concrete oral history we have um, is the, um, the the griot
0: and yes, the, the, yes, yeah, the griot mm-hmm.
2: and the narration of the, the 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 whole epic of the Mandang, um, but that's from the 13th century onwards. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now in the midst of that some of these griots became muslim and started Mm. adjusting that history itself and based on islam Islam. yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you have two different um narratives of that same history that actually say the same thing one that injects islam and the other that remains um animist now, right. I'm not yes. saying mm-hmm. that we should take one or the other, but it's widening that space and being aware, and then you understand what the, the elements you can use. For me, mm-hmm. archive is a tool to help me think, a tool to help me understand.
1: Right, right. Huh?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's- a tool to help me ask more questions.
1: Exactly, exactly. Exactly. When I was in Morocco, um, I remember I was like with my in the living room, with my host's family, and we were watching TV, and I was telling them that I actually been to like these Ganawa ceremonies, and they had never been to them. They're like, ooh, they were like fascinated because they always had heard about the Ganawa, and uh, on TV, uh, an American documentary came on about the the Black Church in the U.S., and they showed people kind of getting the spirit you know, which is something I grew up with. So, um, you know, people get spirit and then they dance, you know, uh, et cetera. And um, my host family, they said, oh, look, American, Black American Ganawa. And it kind of made me think about this history that seems to be like uh, that's throughout. um, I'm not sure
2: that I do the Ganawa do. uh, um get into a trance I, yeah I, I, the, I the ceremonies that, are the,
1: that, yes yes because the ceremonies i went that, to yes that's, they, that's they the went. Yeah. yes um yeah they go into a trance I, I was the first one i went to i remember i was sitting next to this woman and we were like having a conversation in french and a particular rhythm chain played and like her eyes changed and she just mm. got up and started dancing and i also had friends who uh, when i was living in florida who are Santeria initiates? So, with ceremonies um, there, yeah. and um, you know, this just this, this common tradition of like drumming and using music to bring on spirits to get messages from the spirits, and but obviously like that- these are like different traditions, but it's like really fascinating that there's this those of us who who are in this part of the world who, like who are descendants of the of those who are enslaved have like held on to. This, tradition even though like it's different in different yeah, places but, i mean so.
2: one one of our participants in that brainstorming of the artists we're working with is kudus onikeku okay, okay. Mm-hmm. because um he's um he's a very well-known contemporary dancer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um and so contemporary dance dance itself
1: is an archive
2: is an archive yes. Our body is an archive mm-hmm. and how the whole yoruba tradition is, is yes. actually the basis if you if you hear the drums of the Yoruba tradition, mm-hmm. it's binary, it's the basis of computer science.
1: Oh, okay. So talk more about that. Uh,
2: I'd rather he talk about it because okay, okay. we I mean, we'll we'll have, have to talk to him. Uh, okay. Yeah no so it's the it's the binaries of the drum the Yoruba rituals right right it's like if you take them into ones and zeros it's the oh, basis, okay. you know it's as simple as that
1: oh my god I haven't thought about that oh my god I had to read read more up, up on that I love yeah. that
2: okay yeah and and of course he got he went into a lot of length into the whole uh, Yoruba tradition and how it's connected and how the 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 overground and the underground and like i you know i'm egyptian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as an egyptian um we we do not function in linear linear mode Mm. we function 12 hours of morning and 12 hours of night so there's the visible and the invisible the overworld and the underworld and Mm -hmm. they're both sides of the same coin Right, right. The okay. of, uh, yeah. So, anyway, we're going, we're going deep into. We're
1: going deep. You're blowing my mind.
2: <laughs> deep into the spiritual world. <laughs> but I think you see, that's, that's an element. That's another element that, that I think is what the whole element of spirituality has mm-hmm. disappeared from the narrative. But yes. all our cultures are deeply rooted in the spiritual.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Now we don't have any visual material that will transmit that. Does right. that mean permit it, or do we find other tools to integrate that level of narrative as an mm-hmm. archive through the orality, through dance, through puppeteering, through all these different elements that have existed for ages?
1: right right um there's this um anthropologist and i'm gonna like see if i can look her up maya um durham i think was her name um anyway okay i'll i'll try to i'll try to remember who but she she um actually she was originally from russia and she settled here actually in california and she did these amazing, like I said, what what we would kind of like actually call experimental documentaries, like and, but using, she was also a dancer. And she has this phenomenal film about um Vudan, And she what she does is she she recorded these dances like in the 1940s. Um, and she slows them down to kind of show you the nuances and how they're specific to, to the various orishas that are being like called down onto people. And um, and it's really, it's like this phenomenal way of like, it was this amazing way of kind of like documenting these, the subtleties of these various, um, I, I actually call them histories that we normally don't see as histories. You, you see, that,
2: that reminds me of uh, a film called mm-hmm. Specialized Technique made by Onyeka Igwe. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a ritual dance that is obviously filmed by the, uh, the, the, the Colonial Film Unit. Right. Mm-hmm. And what she does is that she asks questions to the character inside the archive. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and this interaction between her voice and how all the questions around that specific ritual, mm-hmm. because obviously part of the ritual is, is captured. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like she would ask her, did they tell you to not look at the camera? Is this the move you usually do? Or is it a choreography? And all these are questions that she's addressing to the archive, which is very interesting because then you look at the archive, you get a sense of the dance and the ritual, but mm-hmm. with these questions in mind, you can actually go do some
1: research. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really it's, it's so fascinating. Oh, oh, I looked, found her. Her name is Maya Dirk. Maya Duran Dur- D E R E N like her most famous film is like Meshes of the Afternoon is all over YouTube it's like it's hella cool um uh but yeah so i mean i guess what you're you're asking us to do what you're challenging us to do a- as people is in a way to kind of like um look at our own like look almost look at ourselves as archives too? We are. Yeah. We are. I
2: mean, uh, um, yesterday I was um, saying that I've been obviously working with archive and over the past Mm -hmm. years, I've been preparing this whole um, program around the archive. And just in August, my flat was flooded and I had to bring out all my archive. And I suddenly realized, Oh, my God, how will anyone actually understand what all of this is? Mm. And mm-hmm. why should I leave behind all of this? So the same questions that I've been asking, what is there to preserve? And in what context and what do you need to keep it? Right. What kind of indications you need to keep? Or does one just leave it to say whatever, you know, throw the whole lot if you want. So I think basically just as a punchline, Mm -hmm. I've been very um, confused over the past year Mm -hmm. as to where to draw the line, where to put my energy. Of course, I'm not saying that forget celluloid because I don't want to forget celluloid. Mm -hmm. However, alongside celluloid, there is not a hierarchy of priority. Mm-hmm. Celluloid is not yes. a top priority. Right. Alongside the, the, the celluloid, there's a whole host of things that we should start considering archive. Now, the punchline mm-hmm. is how do we do this? How do we think in terms of how to proceed in terms of collecting i'm a firm mm. believer that mm-hmm. every time we use an archive we create a new archive ourselves mm. be it yes orally, yes be it dance be it... so it's this reappropriation mm-hmm. that i'm very into at the moment
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. appropriate that image and right. as a, a person coming from that space interrogate it interpret it Mm -hmm. And then whatever you do with it is a new form of archive. Right. It It Mm -hmm. only adds layers. It's that layering that I Mm -hmm. think is very exciting.
1: Right. So when you ask that question and I'm like, and you could correct me if I'm like not, uh, if I'm saying this wrong, but you ask the question like, uh, like, why should you preserve or like what needs to be preserved or, and, and, and like my answer, my answer is that because is because we need it, you know, but <laughs> um, because we need it. But I mean, I also get, you know, trying to determine why like do we what.
2: need it? Why do you need, if you recognize that yes. all we're left with are fragments that do not tell the story, Mm-hmm. And that these fragments are taken from a vantage point that does not actually tell our history the way we lived it, but rather the decision that that's how it should be portrayed. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of it should be preserved, but maybe some of it shouldn't. I'm not. I'm. I'm saying that the question, of right. preservation, um, the question of preservation mm-hmm. is a real one.
0: Yes. It's not
2: just spend hours and just digitize everything you see. Mm-hmm. Why? Now, let me ask you this. If- and who makes that decision? Right. Now, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, Guinea Bissau, huh? Um, mm-hmm. Got a huge fund for a wonderful Portuguese filmmaker, Philippa Cesar, mm-hmm. to preserve some of the archive there. Bless her heart, she did an amazing job. But obviously not everything can be preserved. Right. Who gets to choose what is important and what isn't? Who gets to choose that this film needs to be restored and then now goes through the circuit and becomes the best-known Guinean film. Maybe it right. wasn't.
1: Yeah, maybe it may, may have just been like one of the few Guinean films that was out there, and there are other films that were out there that we don't know about because you know they didn't have the resources,
2: or whoever chose to digitize mm-hmm. this one and not that one. Mm-hmm. It's it's it's. I guess bottom line is that it's complicated, and it's a very very long haul. And we need as many people and then as many brains and as many mm. uh, alternatives to right. just collect pieces of the puzzle.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I guess a lot of, I mean, not I guess, but a lot of what is chosen to, quote unquote, like be um, preserved is based on subjectivity. It's, it's someone's opinion about... Like, and it's is usually, this worthy or is it not? And it's
2: usually the opinion of someone working in a colonial archive because they're the only mm-hmm. ones who have
1: the means. Right, right. So do you think that we would need to kind of like make these decisions? Um, and I'm going to reference yes. Allen Ginsberg. You know, he, when he talks about writing, he talks about how you have to like kill your darlings um and what that means is you know when you're when you're writing something a poem a novel you know you may write a lot of like great great things but how you had to also think about like how this particular um line or this particular paragraph um contributes to the story and if it doesn't necessarily contribute to the story you you should remove it i in kill um, your darlings and in in
2: documentary um when you have to cut out a sequence, you say exactly. kill your babies. Kill your and babies, a, yeah. And it's a very, very hard decision to make.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: But uh, but uh, again, let, don't get me wrong. I am not saying there shouldn't be preservation. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that there shouldn't be pre- restoration. I'm saying that as much as I was really excited and trying to get a scanner and trying to do this, it was all about the celluloid suddenly a number of questions made me wonder whether Mm -hmm. focusing on that is not actually and that's why complexifying restitution notes to self it was really I was asking myself right right what is this about where do I reach the end of this do I need to say that because at the same time the way we use visual archives today is within a commercial context. Exactly. Right. Um, Voila. So I think clarity on that and engagement because researchers, PhD students, ethnographers, anthropologists, Mm -hmm. sociologists, each one is going to look from a different perspective. Yeah, we bring our
1: own we bring ourselves to like what we're, yeah. Yeah. It's what we do. There's, there's no such thing as um, objectivity. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As
2: an artist, I believe who better is there as an artist to reappropriate these existing narratives in order to connect the past with the present, the past on its own, just as a nostalgia, is not very beneficial, really.
1: The and a lot past- of times it's not, it's, it's not, it's inaccurate. To- yes. So yes. Mm-hmm.
2: We, we, at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm dipping into the past in order to clarify the present and yes. hopefully the future. So I think if that is, if that is the angle through which you are pursuing archive, this connection, this need to understand the today is very instrumental in all its formats. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. reinterpreting it is part of growing the archive. Because yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Just taking the archive and keeping it fixed. Right. That, that's not... In a right. Time mm-hmm. When I use it today... Mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to breathe into it part of the life of today because whoever is going to come in the future then gets this uninterrupted chain of moments. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm. and that's why preservation in and of itself, just for the sake of preservation, I'm not sure the amount of money and effort to the exclusion of all other formats.
1: Right, right. It mm-hmm.
2: is is the most beneficial thing at the moment. Right. So wow. let dance, orality, puppeteering, music, sound, all these things are but rituals, rituals. Rituals,
1: yes, those are yeah, I mean the rituals like I mean yeah it's it's a it's an art arch- yeah I love it like rituals are an, an archive our you
2: body know, is uh, an archive
1: our body is an archive yes and I mean that that's so that's so true when you say that our body is an archive because I'm, I'm thinking also from the perspective of like psychology and trauma and how our body like holds on to things that we have it you know whether Consciously or unconsciously, that we haven't had time to process. You know, particularly in when we experience trauma, and I, and it's, our, it, yeah, our bodies are memories. You know, our bodies are memories. So, well, we have been talking for like an hour now. Um, so. And I would love to go on, but I think we probably need to wrap up. So I just want to ask if you have like any last words or any thoughts. I mean, this has been like, for me, this has been like a wonderful conversation. Like I love engaging with you. I can't wait to like, just sit down with you like in person. So we can just like go deep, 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 deep into this. We'll make that happen soon. Yeah. Um, but I'm just, i so appreciate you taking the time, especially, um, being where you are right now.
2: <laughs> Yo, Kuinna. Yeah. Hey yeah, uh, I'm 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 not really laughing about this one. Get me out of here. I know. Well, I'm
1: laughing like to like, you know, to to yes. kind of like, you know, it's not it's not a funny situation, but sometimes yeah. like laughter kind of like breaks the tension. Yes. But um uh please be safe and then I, I'll please offer any like last words that you like to leave us with today.
2: Well, I guess my last word is let's work on how the links of the chain can continue, be it from north or south, east or west, past or present. We're all in this together. And the more the the links within this chain uninterrupted, the more understanding we'll have amongst all of us.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Jihan, for being on the show today.
2: Thank you.